Now you can take your bulletin. Thank you for the reminder. That's, that's why, as we'll see, we need all parts of the body. That's what we're about today. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. It's printed there on page 3 of your, of your bulletin. If you've been with us, we've been working our way through Ephesians. Now into chapter 4, as Paul is telling us what it looks like to, to walk the Christian walk. And we've seen how Paul really wants us to connect it with what he said in the first few chapters about the work of Jesus and God's grace in the gospel. Uh, that as we, as we walk the Christian walk, it's not graduating from Jesus. In fact, it's, it's living out what he has done and continued to be strengthened by him and, and God doing his work through us. It's what we've called our therefore walk, right? Gospel. Jesus' grace, therefore we walk. And we've seen that Paul's very first application of that principle of the Christian life is about living in the church. And last week, the emphasis was on the the unity of the church and preserving it uh, as God gives us strength and excitement through the gospel. And now uh, we're transitioning into how that church functions and what that looks like. Again, all about Jesus and his work for us. But let's first read um, Ephesians 4. Uh, The the text we're going to focus in on is verses 7 through 16. We're going to back up a little bit so we can get a little bit of the the context and the transition that Paul is making. So let's listen to God's word. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also had descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, the body grows so that it builds itself up in love. Let's let's pray for God's use of his word among us. Lord, we do pray that you would do that good work through your word to show us uh, your son and to show us what that looks like, uh, Lord, to rejoice in it, and then live in that truth within the body of Christ that you have created. We pray with thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
Is the church a bus or a body? A bus or a body? I was reading uh, John Stott's book on the uh, letter to the Ephesians, and Stott makes this observation over his years of pastoral ministry and preaching. He says, far too often, practically speaking, uh, the Church of Christ can end up looking like a bus. Can, can, you, can you picture it? Okay, so picture yourself on a bus. And maybe you picture a time when you when you had to ride the bus. I, I picture in my mind that that summer I was working at college on campus as a research assistant, and campus was dead, and so I, I would try to get home as often as I could on the weekends. The easiest way to get there, Greyhound. Pay the ticket, get on the bus. It was great. You know, I found a quiet seat, got to read, take a nap. Wonderful. Can you picture it? You're there. You're sitting on the bus. What is that like? What's what's your experience of, of the bus? Well, the bus is important to you, right? It, it gets you where you want to go. Uh, but for the most part, you're not doing much. You're, you're passive. You're just watching and the bus is moving forward. The one who's doing the work is the guy up front. Uh, he's doing the driving. He's doing the work. You're, you're just sitting. Uh, and you pay for your ticket, of course, but, but your role on the bus is just to be there. And you like it that way. You like the fact that he's doing the work and you're not. Uh, and to be perfectly honest, the driver likes it that way too. He likes it that he's doing the work and you're not, right? He did, your role, according to him, is not to get involved in the driving process, right? Just be quiet, sit down, and please do not criticize his driving. That's your role on the bus. Okay, and then maybe you could think about your relationship to the other people on the bus. Uh, you really don't interact that much. Although maybe if you take the bus frequently enough, you get to know the regulars, and develop a little bit of a relationship. You chit-chat about the weather and, and so on and so forth. But it's, it's pretty minor. It's pretty superficial. And truthfully, it's incidental. Uh, it's not essential to the bus doing what you want it to do. Uh, it's, it's the people are just kind of window dressing. Uh, actually, other people can be more part of the problem than they can be helpful on the bus, Right? That's the big annoyance is other people. What if they're too loud? What if, uh, what if so-and-so is wearing, uh, wearing this perfume that drives you nuts? Other people are more the problem than they are a help. Do we tend to think about the church like a bus? Take your seat. Be quiet. Watch. Um... Okay, maybe you chit-chat with the people around you, but they're kind of incidental. And to be honest, they can be more frustrating than they are helpful. Uh, the guy at the front, he's the one who does the work. And the people who are sitting down like it that way, and the guy at the front likes it that way, right? Don't criticize the driving, just let him do his job, and everybody's happy. Are we ever tempted to do that? Paul paints a picture, an image, in, in this passage in Ephesians. But it's not a bus. It looks very, very different. It's a body. There are some similarities to the bus. Uh, 
there's activity, uh, there's purpose, there's, there's movement, uh, but, the, but the details are very different, aren't they? Right? In, in a body, the various participants are not divided up into active and passive, or important and just potentially annoying. Uh, there's, there's a whole lot of participants, but they all have an incredibly critical role to play. Different roles, uh, but critical. No one's window dressing in a body. Uh, everything is active and essential. Uh, this, and the structure ends up going somewhere, but the results are glorious. The results are, are wonderful, are beautiful, and the one who gets all the credit is the one who put it all together and the one who is the head of that body. That's what Paul's getting at in the, in the Church of Christ. And like we've said, it's very much connected with Jesus himself. It isn't about graduating from Jesus, and now we, we do this thing we call church. But as Paul portrays it, this is actually uh, living out Jesus and seeing Jesus at work with us, with us. Which is actually why, when he goes to describe this picture in detail, he starts not with what you or I do, he starts with what Jesus does. So maybe we should start there. So we'll get to the, what it looks like practically, functionally, but we start with Jesus and what he does. Uh, specifically, his victory for the body. That's, that's part one. Now, so you come to verse 7. <clears throat> you see Paul making a little bit of a transition. He's still talking about the church, but now a different aspect of it. Right? The previous verses that we read, it was all about unity of the body. One, one, one. And now he's transitioning, verse 7, to try to talk about the, the differences, the, the diversity within the body. Still one, but a lot of differences. And he quickly goes to say, it all comes from Jesus. And Jesus' victory in particular. So he quotes from Psalm 68. That's the, uh, the, the quote that's there. We read it this morning, Psalm 68. This picture that David has of God as the great divine warrior who fights on behalf of his people. And, God, and the God who, having won the victory, leads a victory parade. A victory parade. Now you've got to kind of put yourself in, in ancient times to get a sense of what this is all about. Uh, in the ancient world, uh, you would have victory parades after, after great battles. Um, probably the modern equivalent might be the, the ticker tape parade down Broad Street after a Super Bowl victory or something like that. But a little bit, a little bit different. In this case, it's the, uh, the one at the head of the parade uh, is the victorious general. The one who was, who was conquered, the, the, the victor, the champion. And the, the conquering hero, the general, he's at the front and he leads the parade into his own capital city. And, and behind him in the parade would be the defeated enemies, right? The, 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 the soldiers who were this general just defeated, the now prisoners of war. Uh, they're there following the general. You can kind of picture them uh, sometimes in chains, sometimes just or often, probably always with their heads down, right? They're defeated. The defeated enemies, general, enemies come behind, defeated and, of course, along with the parade would be the, the treasure that was won, the, the spoils of war, uh, the, the, the victory, uh, gold, and, and other goods that the, the victorious general had just won for himself and for his people. 
for his people. In fact, that was a key part of what a victory parade would do. The general got to the end of the parade and almost always would then take some of those spoils of war, some of that treasure, and distribute some of that to the crowds. Right? Everybody gets to share in the victory, and it's tangibly given out, at least in part, among the people. And Psalm 68, uh, David says, that's God. And then Paul comes along, Ephesians 4, and says, ultimately, that's fulfilled in Jesus. That what Jesus does is win a victory and lead a victory parade. And Paul's referring uh, to his ascension, uh, his, his being raised up uh, in glory. Not just the resurrection, but what comes after it. Uh, Jesus being raised up to the, the right hand of the Father in glory, having won the victory. That's how the cross and the resurrection is pictured, as the, the divine warrior in the person of Jesus Christ going to battle. Right? That's how we should think about the cross and the, and the resurrection. It's not Jesus as the victim who gets conquered. In fact, he is the conqueror. He takes on uh, all your enemies, uh, all my enemies, all his enemies, and he wins the victory. Sin defeats it. Death defeats it. Uh, the powers of darkness defeats it. Uh, there's, a, there's an encouragement for you. The next, time, the next time you feel just overwhelmed, maybe, it's, maybe you feel really discouraged by your own sin, uh, maybe, you feel, maybe you feel like death threatens you, uh, maybe you feel like the powers of darkness around just seem so, so strong. Picture those enemies for what they really are. Defeated enemies. Defeated enemies who uh, are, are led by Jesus uh, in a victory parade. And they're the, they're the defeated prisoners with heads hung low. That's what sin is in your life. That's what death is in, in Christ's kingdom. That's what the powers of darkness are. Picture them now. Because it is. It's a, it's a victory parade, Paul says, uh, as, as Jesus leads the way. Did you catch how he explains it a little bit in verses 9 and 10? And so he says, uh, having quoted uh, from Psalm 68, now he gives a little explanation. Uh, verse 9, in saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. In other words, he's, he's summarizing for you the history of Jesus. He's saying, this is what Jesus did. Yeah, he, he ascends, but that, that also means that he first descended. In other words, he came to earth, uh, not just geographically, but also spiritually, humbling himself to the lowest place. Right? We read it last week in Philippians, to death, uh, death of the cross, the grave. He descends, he humbles himself to the lowest place, but then he ascends. Uh, ascends, not just rises from the dead, but ascends up into heaven, into glory, even also the spiritual, right, the highest place, the name that's above every name. And there he rules and, and reigns, uh, Paul says, that he might fill all things. The idea there is uh, that he's sovereign uh, as the king over all things, having authority over heaven and earth. So the ascension of Christ, this exaltation of Christ to the highest place and then Paul says, uh, you do see that's, that's the victory parade. All right, so verse 8, uh, here's, here's the actual quote. 
Um, when he ascends on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Right? So this in this rising up to the highest place, the, the defeated enemies, sin, death, powers of darkness, they're, they're like the, the defeated captives in the parade. Uh, victory won. And, and what does Jesus do? Uh, ascending, he gives gifts to men. Like that general who has all the spoils of war and the treasure and then distributes them to the crowd. Paul says, that's Jesus. That's what uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit is all about. Uh, that the ascended Christ receives from the Father the Spirit, and he pours it out upon the church. And it's, and it's through that Spirit that Christ gives individual gifts, some of the ones he's going to name in just a minute. Uh, but Paul says, to each and every believer, you, you saw that, didn't you, in, in, in verse, uh, verse 7, grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. At the ascended Christ takes uh, the spoils of war, and now he pours it out to each and every believer. That uh, is, is how the, the church gets its different parts and gifts. Uh, it's not random. Uh, it's not incidental. This is the very thing Christ came to do, to conquer his enemies uh, and rejoice in his victory. And so as you begin to think about your place in the body of Christ— and what that looks like, don't think of it as just kind of a little little footnote to your life. Oh yeah, I also have, do this thing, or I also have, have this gift, like as if it's incidental part of your life. Don't you see? It's tied up with the climax of human history. Uh, your place, your gift, your role in the body. Uh, it's tied up with the very victory of Jesus. Uh, his very exaltation, it's now poured out upon his church as he gives gifts to men. This is not graduating from Jesus. This is living Jesus out and rejoicing in Christ. And of course, he gets all the glory, right? He's the one who gives all the gifts. Okay, so then what does that look like in, in the functioning of the body? You see where it comes from? It comes from the exalted Christ. And then Paul begins to describe it, the functioning of the body, beginning in 11 and 12. And he, that is this exalted Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So the victorious Christ uh, showers gifts upon the church, and Paul names here uh, several of these gifts and the roles that match uh, those gifts. Uh, he mentions a, 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 a few of them. You see, there's a number of these lists of different gifts in Scripture. They're all a little bit different. None are intended to be exhaustive. And here he names a few of them. See if you can catch what's similar uh, about all of these ones that Paul mentions. Can you, can you see the theme that runs through all of them? Uh, so first he mentions the apostles. Probably thinking apostle in the technical term here. He said back in chapter 2 that the apostles form the foundation of the church along with the prophets. Uh, the, the official uh, technical sense of apostle, the 12 disciples, along with some others like Paul, and the replacement for Judas, those specifically designated by Jesus as his eyewitnesses, uh, as the ones who were to go out and, and bear testimony to what they have seen in the resurrected Jesus. And in so doing, they, Paul says, lay the foundation for the church. 
start to see why you wouldn't continue to have apostles down through the generations, both because there are not those who ongoingly on, or continue to see the resurrected Jesus, but also because you just lay a foundation once. Uh, apostles, then he says the prophets, uh, what Paul said in chapter 2, was a part of that original foundation. Again, prophet, probably prophet here in this technical sense of one who receives revelation from the Lord and speaks it as God's mouthpiece. You had that in the Old Testament, the, the Jeremiah's, the Isaiah's, who received revelation from the Lord and spoke it as God's mouthpiece. And in the New Testament age, you had those individuals uh, before the, the scripture was finalized, God giving uh, his word through his, his mouthpiece. And again, Paul says that's part of the foundation of the church as the church is being formed and the scriptures are being put together. Then he mentions uh, evangelists, uh, those who focus on the preaching of the word. Uh, a lot of times in scripture, those who go in various places uh, to proclaim the word, a lot of times especially to the lost. And then he goes to the shepherds and teachers, uh, or if you have a footnote there in your Bible, you see you could translate it as pastors and teachers. Um, probably, Paul is not talking about two separate distinct uh, offices, gifts, uh, roles, uh, but probably two aspects to one role. Uh, and so you could translate it as shepherd teachers or pastor teachers. Uh, shepherd, the idea, one who cares for the flock, and cares for the flock especially uh, through the preaching and teaching of God's word. So he names a number of different roles and gifts in, in the church, uh, some of them temporary, some of them clearly permanent. Can you see the, the, the similarity, the thread that runs through all of them? Uh, the focus here is... Uh, those who proclaim the word of God. These are all word gifts, proclamation gifts. Slightly different aspects to that and roles in that, but the same idea. They're all word gifts. So at this point, maybe you're starting to say, well, well hold it. Uh, Paul's talking about gifts and, okay, the body, but then he just names all the people who end up at the front of the room. Right? This kind of sounds like the bus. Uh, here's Paul naming the important people at the front of the room. It kind of sounds like a bus, doesn't it? No, you read more carefully. Uh, what's, what is this all about? Well, in some sense, you get context back in chapter 2, or, or excuse me, verse 7, there where uh, he named gifts, not just to some, but to all, this gifting grace of Christ, each and every believer. And then you look more carefully at what he says these Want these word gifts, these individuals are called to do, as verse 11 goes into 12, okay, so he gave evangelists, shepherds, teachers, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body. So these word gifts, this teaching and preaching of God's word, it's designed to equip the saints, uh, to equip each and every believer in the church to do that work of ministry. So it's not a bus picture, certain individuals at the front, they do all the, all the work. No, but it's the, the word gifts, those who often are more visible, but their job is not to do all the work, but to equip the saints to do the work. Uh, the, the ministry, the service in the life of the church, uh, it is equipped by the word gifts. 
It's through the, the teaching and the preaching of the gospel and the teaching of the scriptures that the believers in the church, the saints in the church, are equipped and made ready and, and repaired and, and equipped to, to do the work of the, the ministry. Now, maybe a few of you who might be aware, there's a little translation debate in verse 12. Should there be an extra comma in here? I won't bore the rest of you with the details, but I think we can conclude this. Even if the, the ESV has it wrong here, and that's basically what I've been telling you, the kind of the ESV uh, side of the debate, uh, even if the ESV has it wrong here, the point is the same. Uh, the idea that there is a role for word gifts, but the entire body is doing the work of building up the body. Uh, so you all you have to do is go back, go down to verse 16 and see, uh, well, how is it that the body ends up being matured and growing? When does the body grow and mature? Verse 16 says, when each part is working properly. So it's, it's not just when a few select special individuals are working that the body grows, but when each part is working properly. So, so you see that idea. We're, Paul's not giving us an image, a bus-like image, where you have a, a, a few active and important and, and the rest mostly incidental and passive. No, he's giving, a, he's giving a body image. He's giving that image of a whole lot of different parts but each part being active. Yes, there's, there's word gifts, leadership gifts, but they're designed to equip and strengthen the other parts of the body to be active in the ways that they are active. So what it means is that, like in a human body, each and every part is essential in the plan of God. Each and every part is vital. Do you think of yourself that way? I mean, really, practically, do you think of yourself as vital to the work of the church? Essential. So that if, if you were pulled away, the church would be missing something without you in the plan of Jesus. According to Paul and the Holy Spirit here, we should think of ourselves that way. Not because we're so great that nobody can live without us, but because this is how Christ gives his gifts. This is how he expresses his victory. He's growing his body when each part is working properly. So you miss a part, you're missing part of the work. Thinking of ourselves as the Bible thinks of ourselves. So what does that actually look like then? To be maybe a little less bus and a little more body? What would that look like for, for us, even, even here at Emmanuel? Well, it probably means we, we start looking around and thinking, okay, what are the needs in the body, and how might I be equipped to help with it? And you ask that question of yourself. What needs are out there, and how might you be equipped, and you be equipped, and you be equipped to help out with it? Looking, noticing, and working together. Uh, so I, to try to be practical about this myself, I thought, okay, working on this on Friday, let me just take 10 minutes and a blank piece of paper and see if I can just come up with, in a brainstorm-like fashion, a whole list of different gifts that would be really helpful right now, 
expecting that this is what Jesus does. He uses and gives these gifts. And so here's my just quick list of gifts that I could see. I could, the body could put these to work right away. Okay, here's what I came up with. Um, hospitality gifts, technology gifts, foreign language gifts, uh, administrative organizational gifts, event planning gifts, evangelism gifts, teaching gifts, musical gifts, mercy ministry gifts, leadership gifts, uh, children ministry gifts, financial gifts, physical labor gifts. That was about 10 or 15 minutes that I was able to just work that out. Probably if, if you took uh, 10 minutes in a blank piece of paper, you could come up with uh, an additional items to that. Needs within the body where, where specific gifts and opportunities and, and people that are good at that, they could be put to work right away. Now, the point there is not that you should do all of that. In fact, that's quite the opposite of the point. Uh, you can't do all of that. Uh, the person next to you can't do all of that. I can't do all of that. God doesn't intend us to. But maybe there's something different for each of us to do. Don't try to think about what someone else should do, but, oh, but I, I might be able to do that. Or I could help out a little bit with that. Right? The, the point is not being able to do all of it, but being able to just be an active part of the body according to Christ's gift to you. And of course it's going to look different than somebody else. That's the point. So that when we're each actively working, each part doing its, its work, the body is built up. And again, it's not out of, out of a sense of guilt. Ugh. Got to get moving. Because it's tied to the gospel, right? It's, wow, look at what Jesus did. Now look at his victory. And, and now I, I, he's just handed me uh, part of the spoils of, of his victory. Now I get to, I get to, I get to use that. Uh, I get to express that. And we can expect God to use it. All right, which is uh, the last point. We can do this quickly. Uh, the transformation of the body that we can expect. Now this is verses 13 to 15. Uh, it's not hard to pick up the, the theme that Paul is, is getting at in these verses uh, is that the body gifted, uh, the body uses the gifts, and therefore the body grows and matures. You see that growing, maturing theme throughout the, those, uh, those four verses there? So verse 13, he speaks of mature manhood uh, the body grows into. Verse 14, uh, we mature so that we're no longer children. Uh, verse 15, growing up in every way. Right? Just like a human body uh, doesn't stay as a wobbly toddler, but it grows. It matures. It grows in size as well as it grows in ability and uh, maturity in every sort of way. So Paul says, that's, that's the church of Christ. Uh, and this is, this is how God's doing it. We, we can expect him to bring about maturity and growth. Yes, some of that is numerical growth. Christ does say he's going to build his church. And so uh, it might not be every individual congregation growing at exactly the same time at the same rate. But we can expect and should expect and pray and plan that God's going to numerically grow his church. He promises the body grows. Here, Paul especially emphasizes the spiritual maturing of the church. That the church doesn't stay in infancy. Uh, verse 13, it's a, it's a growing, he says, attaining unity in our common faith. 
knowing Christ more and more. You get that idea where we're more fixed and united on this faith that we confess, and that's our hope. We, we know Christ better. Later in verse 13, he talks about um, the maturity as the measure of stature, the fullness of Christ. That idea is we grow in Christ-likeness. Uh, that, that the body uh, as a whole starts to look more and more and more like Jesus. Uh, that's what God promises to do. That's what God is doing. Uh, he says, verse 14, this maturity means uh, we're no longer blown and tossed around. All right, and picture a, picture a, a windswept ocean and a tiny little sailboat in the middle of a hurricane-like sea. Right, It's just tossed around and blown around. Paul says, no, because what the Jesus is doing in his body through all the parts working is he's maturing it. So it has more and more stability. So that every every new theological fad, every every new little YouTube video that has the new plan to make the Christian life work better and better, you've never heard this before, but here it is. Uh, those kinds of things that you've probably seen tend to upset Christians left and right. Well, as the body matures, there's you're not blown around by that. We're not blown around by that. Uh, there's a, there's a, a stability uh, so that every, every error, every fad doesn't disturb the church. Maturity. And Paul wraps it up, verse 16, by saying, the body grows so that it builds itself up in love. Right? This, this Christ-like love, this sacrificial uh, patience with one another, bearing with one another, we talked about last week, right? this building each other up with this love of Christ, this maturity, that's what Christ does. And how does he do it? He does it when each part of the body is working properly. When each part of the body is taking this gift that God gives and, and excitedly uh, putting it to work. So part of it is getting excited about the transformation that we can expect. Uh, we can rejoice to know that God's already been doing this. It's not like that this hasn't happened. He has been doing it. And part of it is we, we look in, around and see, oh yeah, the body's already working. But then we get excited about the body working more and more and more. Uh, we, can, we can look forward to this growth and, and this maturity and this Christ-likeness. Uh, and has us getting excited about being more and more like the body. Uh, more and more, nah, get, get rid of that bus. There's no use for that. And it's not even attractive to us anymore. Because we see Christ as something so much better. What he's doing is so much better. It has us tied up in knowing his, his, his power, his victory. It has us thinking about it. Every time we interact uh, with, with one another, we can see, I get to see Christ's victory. Just think about that. That's one way to, to picture coming into church, is that when you come into church and you see another believer in the distinct way that God has put them together and gifted them, you're seeing Christ's victory. And that's the privilege that God gives us. And we get to walk into the body. I see the victory of Jesus here uh, as, he, as you see the gifts that he has poured out. It gets us excited. Uh, it gets us rejoicing. It gets us focused on the Savior. And sure enough, the body builds itself up in love. Well, let's pray together. Father, we do thank you and praise you for your goodness and your love and your grace. Uh, encourage your people. Strengthen us as we... Uh, as we become more and more that, that body that you intend us to be. Each part working together, building one another up in love. Thank you, Lord. 
uh, for each and every one uh, of the saints that you've brought here to Emmanuel. Thank you for the, the, the wide diversity of, of experience and passion and ability that you have given to each one. And Lord, we pray that we would, we would see those, uh, those differences and gifts celebrated and used. And, and Lord, that we'd all be benefiting and maturing because of it. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.